Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. We're in the midst of this series, Heads and Tails, and the interesting paradoxes or what might seem like contradictions in the Christian faith, but how they form two sides of the one coin. So this morning or today, we're looking at ancient and modern. And so I get to talk about ancient, which is kind of fun. So I remember the first time I stood in an ancient path. I was 11 years old and I was in an old church in England with my dad and I noticed the um, path within the church had some shallow steps and they had been so worn, these stone steps so worn by the many, many feet who'd passed over them over the centuries that they were strangely scooped out in the middle and I was just completely entranced that my own footsteps would be part of that um, imprint on the stone. Just totally captivated me. So I quite like old things. I've brought with me this morning something old. (laughs) I'm rather attached to my swift whip. Let me just say that if you have some kind of crappy new beta, throw it out and go to the op shop and get yourself one of these because there is nothing that beats the beauty and simplicity of this design. Watch this. If you're on the podcast, listening on the podcast, that was the smooth action of my swift whip. It does not jam. It does not flick cream or egg white all over the planet. It's a thing of beautiful, a thing of beauty. Why aren't they making beaters like these anymore? I, it, I, I'm mystified by that. So old can be brilliant, and that's really what we're talking about this morning. So we're going to make a quick leap, which might seem completely irrational, but hey, you're with me this morning, to something that actually isn't old. In fact, she's rather young. I'd like you to watch this. Look, it was probably worth you coming to church just to see that. (laughs) If that's all you get out of this morning, watching a beautiful human being doing something absolutely incredible, then that's something to celebrate. But the thing is, Eliza McCartney can't make that leap from underneath the bar. She has to go back and get her running start in order to leap forward and fly upward. We have to reach back in order to fly forward. We can't start from where we are. We're actually reaching back into something that's been going on for a much longer time. And that without that running start, we can never make the leaps over the hurdles and the the difficulties of life, the, the moments of snagging in our faith where we think, what was that about? I don't understand it. It's the reaching back that helps us. Uh, comprehend those things and allows us to transcend and fly over that bar. I know enough about, about people now to know that not everybody enjoys old things, peering into cases in museums or reading some dusty medieval tome as much as I do. It's not everyone's cup of tea, right? Um, but the thing is, we are formed by what has gone before. 
We're formed by the early experiences of our own lives. We're formed by the culture of our family and what formed our parents. We're formed by the DNA and the genes that we have received. We're formed by the long-standing culture of the society we're in and the ethnicity we come from. And that in itself is formed by forces even more ancient, by things such as landscapes and environment, by historical hopes and fears, by our experiences of power or enslavement. We are, whether we like it or not, shaped by the past. So let's reach back then. Let's reach back to the Bible. The Bible isn't a book. That might be a bit shocking. It's a library. It's the library of God's people across time and place. It's mostly poetic in form because the prophets were were poet-seers. And if you've ever read a decent poem, you'll know that poetry is an extreme form of truth-telling. The Bible has in it, in its books, history, some epic stories, some wisdom, some letters, some laws, some genealogies. The Bible is made up of ancient texts from varying times. And that spreads from maybe 500 BC to the most recent edition being about 1900 years ago. It's old. And did you know that Christians for the first 500 years of the Christian era lived without the Bible? Imagine. They endured persecution and transformed the ancient world without a copy of the NIV or the message or a Bible in a year app. (laughs) What they did have were the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament, and they relied on gathering and an oral tradition like Māori telling the stories, and they passed around copies of the Gospels and of letters written to them by the apostles. The letters were mostly to correct things that had gone a bit bung in their communities, which is why it's important to spend a lot of time in the Gospels, because that's where we really encountered Jesus, who is God. Our understanding of these ancient texts actually is evolving as um, more texts are uncovered that are contemporary with the biblical ones. So these other bits that are found that come from that same time shed light on words and phrases, even behaviours that allow us to understand more deeply what we see in our own scriptures. So an example of this would be the phrase repent and believe. So we see this phrase in the New Testament Um, And maybe it's got quite a strong association for some of us with turning away from sin, whatever that might mean. What we know now is that that phrase was very common in the time of Jesus 2,000 years ago, and it appears in a particular document written by a lawyer to his client who was a radical activist uh, who had committed some violent crimes, actually, as radical activists are inclined to do, and they still do today, don't they? So the lawyer writes to his client and says, repent and believe. What this means is give up your violent agenda, that's the repent part, And the believe part is, put your trust in me to act on your behalf. So that's the lawyer saying, I'll take care of this. Put your trust in me to act on your behalf. So if you lay that understanding over the moments in the Bible where you see it, 
it deepens our understanding of it. It opens some new things up to us. So our understanding is evolving. So that said, the ancientness of the Bible is so unique and it reflects back to us the human heart since forever, pretty much. And it's also the written account of the binding agreements that God made between God and God. A document somewhere that is our mortgage document, a binding agreement, or we've got our marriage certificate, another form of agreement. Well, the agreements between God and humanity are stored, if you like, in the archive of the Bible, and we can read them and understand them and know them and live them out. The Bible then is the love letter of God to every human and even to the cosmos. It's not limited to humanity. In the Bible, we find Jesus, who is God, become human. Jesus isn't limited to the Bible. And if we place the Bible above Jesus, that's bibliolatry. Jesus is Lord, not the Bible. But here's something lovely from the Bible this morning. The Lord says, this is from Jeremiah 6.16, from the late 5th. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. That's pretty good, isn't it? But it seems that the good way, the ancient way, isn't always obvious. So God is saying, if you're at a crossroads, just stop and look. It's okay. You don't just have to keep running. You can actually stop and look and ask where the good way is. Asking directions is not our natural inclination for most of us. We don't like to look stupid. We like to look like we've got it all together. Um, We don't want anybody to know maybe that we're lost or a bit unsure. But certainty is a killer, folks. <laughs> it's much better to be uncertain and ask for the good paths than to pretend we're okay and find that we've wandered off into the wilderness. So Vic and I, with friends from church here, walked an ancient path last year. We walked uh, the, um, the Camino de Santiago de Compostela, which has been walked by... Uh, Christian people since the ninth century, people walking to the shrine of St. James uh, in Spain. And it's called the way of St. James. The scripture says, look for the good way. And this is a way. People have been doing this way for a long time. Christians actually originally were known as people of the way. And I kind of prefer that to Christian because Christian has a lot of baggage now, I think, dials up such a wide range of things for people. But we can be a people of the good way. So pilgrimage then, that's an ancient faith practice. In the book of Psalms, there are songs that people sang as they made their way up the um, mount where Jerusalem sat on the top and to visit the temple. That was an annual pilgrimage. Jesus, with his mum and dad, made that pilgrimage just as his ancestors had done. Pilgrimage is a lived metaphor for our own lives. We are, according to a, a modern 20th century spiritual writer, we are spiritual beings on a human journey. 
Isn't that good? We're spiritual beings on a human journey. So all humans, whether they recognize it or not, are pilgrims. To enter intentionally on a pilgrimage is a really worthwhile thing to do. The pilgrim steps out of their ordinary life. They arrange their affairs so that there are no competing claims on their attention. And they set out on a walk, not knowing what will happen en route, but with a destination in mind. And maybe they have a hope or a question or an intention in their heart. Maybe it's sometimes just a wondering, I don't know what this is about, but I'm going to do it anyway. Everything else is up to God. Who you meet, what happens to you, what arises in your thoughts and feelings and even your body as you walk for hours each day. While you may have escaped your daily routine on pilgrimage, you can't escape yourself (laughs) or your companions in some instances. Uh, or the person that happens to attach themselves to you as you're walking along who might be a complete stranger. So pilgrimage presents opportunities and situations that you've never encountered in this way before. It requires growth and trust in God and others in a whole new way. And the conclusion of the pilgrimage is in itself a kind of death and new beginning. You are not the same person who stepped out the door all those kilometres and days ago. So life and death and resurrection are mirrored in pilgrimage. It's funny to be using this word ancient because it's not really an everyday word, is it? I mean, I might say my cell phone is ancient. It's not really. I might say Vic's car is ancient. It kind of is. I might say that I'm ancient because I remember when we only had one TV channel and Browns Bay was a gravel road and the Harbour Bridge only had four lanes and people like me came to New Zealand by sea. But that isn't ancient. When the Bible talks about ancient, it means ancient. God describes himself as ancient ancient of days, which is kind of a mysterious way of saying God existed before days were even invented. That's ancient. Psalm 119 verse 52 says, before the mountains were born, they're quite ancient, or the world was made, pretty ancient, from everlasting to everlasting, that's a way of saying from ancient to all eternity, God is God. That's the kind of ancient that we're leaning into. When God invites us to ask for the ancient paths, God is inviting us to wander along old routes that are good, that many others have safely travelled and that God endorses. And maybe even God himself made these paths for our benefit. So what are the paths? They're practices, traditions, ways of praying, ways of being with God and with others. The paths are ways of expressing devotion to God, ways of learning about ourselves and God. So I guess you could say the path is how you live. We can identify the good paths because they're good. They're good for us and they lead to good for others and the cosmos. It's not anthrocentric. It's not just all about people. The the good paths are life-giving, not life-depleting. The good paths don't end in a precipice and just sort of pitch you off the end where you weren't expecting it. And did you notice there's more than one? Ask for the ancient paths. That's kind of cool. So maybe the path that's good for me isn't the path that's good for you. 
but the defining feature will be that it's good. And maybe that's why asking God what the good paths are is important because God will show us the good path for us. C.S. Lewis has something marvellous to say about choosing good paths when it comes to reading and learning. He says, Naturally, since I myself am a writer, I do not wish the ordinary reader to read no modern books. But if you must read only the new or the old, I advise you to read the old. Why? Because a new book is still on trial and must be tested against the great body of Christian thought down the ages. <laughs> that was from his introduction to a 4th century book by Athanasius the Great. We have to reach back to fly forward. And we're allowed to test our ideas against the great body of Christian thought. We're allowed to. What we discover when we reach back is that there are time-proven ways of formation. We are shaped in our faith and as humans by love, by prayer, by suffering, by the scripture, by others and community, and by beauty and the arts. These things have always been so. So by reaching back, we get to test our ideas against some of those things. And I think that's a marvellous invitation of its own. Reaching back, also, we discover the ancient voices saying some of the freshest things we ever heard. So how about this? I've introduced you to um, Julian of Norwich before. But here she is from the 14th century. Before we ever were made, we were loved. God's love for us has never diminished and it never will. Think about that. You have never been unloved. Before anything ever happened to you, you were loved. That's pretty good and wonderful. Hard to get our head around. How about this? Of such a vital voice for this time that we're in of needing to care for our earthly home. From 800 years ago, Francis of Assisi, all things of creation are children of the Father and thus our brothers. God wants us to help animals if they need help. Every creature in distress has the same right to be protected. Important voices. Liturgy, that's ancient. It's a rhythm of prayer and worship when we gather. So the last vestiges of liturgical rhythm in churches like ours are the Christ Mass, or Christmas, and Easter. There is a whole lot more stuff that we could have going on, but we generally don't. Our celebration of the sacraments, the things that Jesus said we should do, are communion and baptism. We don't do it exactly with a rhythm, but we do them wholeheartedly. Maybe we could do a better job, actually, of expressing what these acts of entering into the water of baptism and eating the bread and drinking the little cup actually are. So we reach back to find these meanings, and they enable us to fly forward. A friend of mine has a beautiful banner painted by a New Zealand artist and a Dominican nun called Sister Mary Horn. Her banner is inscribed with 
an ancient prayer from the 4th century Syrian Clementine liturgy. So remembering that our faith sprang up in the Middle East. So to listen to the prayers and voices of the early church means we're listening to Middle Eastern voices, including that of Jesus. Imagine praying this every morning. O God, who are the unsearchable abyss of peace, the ineffable sea of love, the fountain of blessings, the giver of affection, who sends peace to those that receive it. Open to us this day the sea of your love and water us with plenteous streams from the riches of your grace. Make us children of quietness and heirs of peace. Kindle in us the fire of your love. Sow in us your fear Strengthen our weakness by your power. Bind us closely to you and to each other in one firm bond of unity for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's pretty good, don't you think? The ocean and seas of God's love and mercy. So, knowing the past helps us understand what's essential and what isn't and that love trumps all So let's now look at this guy. This is Dorotheus of Gaza. So he was, by all accounts, a humble, genial, and brilliant man. You can still read his stuff today. But he designed our church symbol, which is this. Dorotheus said, imagine the world is a circle. Well, we made it a square, but it still works. God is the center And the radii, those lines, are all kinds of people. When people move towards God, they just naturally move towards each other. That's what happens. And when people move towards each other, they naturally are moving towards God. So this isn't an in-house statement of just Christians being nice to one another. This is stating a, a mystery of how God is embodied and enacted in the world. This is what happens when people move towards each other. God is there. God is found there. When we transcend the dividing barriers of race and everything else, God is there. I think that's fantastic. And this is our symbol. It's not a logo. This is a symbol. And it belongs to our faith from a very long time. So because this expresses our belief here at Shaw Vineyard Church that we will welcome anyone who's moving towards God. We only care that they, like us, are pilgrims and that they will experience our loving them. That's when we will encounter God together. So, reaching back, we discover churches have never been perfect and the people in them have always been annoying and amazing. There's just nothing new about people. So it's all of that. So the thing that really unites us, this incredible, important, beautiful mystery of the communion table is where we're heading now. And so I just want to say, we don't have to buy into everything that the ancients thought. Anybody here want to volunteer to be bricked up alive into a wall to help you resist temptation? No? 
Yeah, so some of the things they did were whack, and we're not doing them anymore. But we reach back to fly forward. We've always been invited by God to embrace a generous orthodoxy that creates space for the modern-day Greek, barbarian, Scythian, or person who's completely other than us. In fact, in the ancient church, we, the Gentiles, were the other. And we should think about that a bit more. So the ultimate picture of coming together is eating together. It's the communion table. So today we're celebrating communion. It's a sacrament. Jesus invited us to do this, and he instituted it. But it's building on an ancient tradition of the Passover supper, which the Jewish people had celebrated uh, as the beginning of their liberation from slavery. So there's a whole lot packed into this bread and this little cup. These emblems represent God's saving action and in its fullest form, which is in Jesus, the incarnation of God. Jesus explains to his followers that he is the fulfillment of the promises of God to humanity, that we belong, that we are freed, that we can know God as a friend and even as a father that death and sin went to the cross with Jesus, which is why the cross is a sign of life to us, not a sign of death. So the high point of Christian worship is not the singing of songs of praise and offering ourselves in worship to God. And the high point of Christian worship is not this part, the preaching of the word, though both of these are important and ancient. The high point of Christian worship is coming to this simple table, Jesus invites us to his table to be nourished by him, by his body, by his life. It is just bread and it isn't just bread. It comes with a special grace. We're not taking communion, but we are receiving the life of the body of Jesus. So this table here at Shaw Vineyards is open to any who are journeying towards God. All pilgrims, no matter where they are on the journey, are welcome at this table. So I just have a little invitation to read. Why don't you stand? So come to this table, you who have much faith and you who would like to have more, you who have been here often, And you who have not been for a long time. You who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed. Come. It is Christ who invites us to meet him here. So this is how we do it, folks. Just when you're ready, just come. Take a little piece of bread, a little cup of juice. And have a little meal. You can do it with the person you're sitting with or or alone. Do it your way. It's Jesus who invites you to do this and all are welcome. So come. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.